Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 12, recorded 20 August and produced 5 September 2015. If I asked you today's date, where would you find it? A few would just know it because, well, you're just that organized. Others might look at their watch, their smartphone, or their computer. But odds are, somewhere in your home or office, there is a calendar hanging on the wall. This could be an advertising calendar given away to promote a brand or product. But if it's one you've purchased, it likely will be one that favors a subject you are keenly interested in, whether that be dogs or cats, fishing or hunting, art or music, or any one of a thousand other subjects, like, for example, bagpipes. When we come back, we'll go behind the scenes of the just-released first official North American pipe band calendar. Caught up in the mystic and spellbinding saga that is Outlander? Wishing you could be swept away over the sea to sky? Why not come and visit Claire and Jamie's world? It's a land of standing stones, shimmering lochs, and great glens that stretch to the horizon and beyond. Outlander, whether in books or on TV, is Scotland. Come and visit the breathtaking landscapes, walk the historic castle grounds, listen for the skirl of the pipes through the thickening mists. You can travel through time when you visit and experience Scotland. When it comes to telling or recording the date and time, the calendar has been with us for a long, long time. Earliest examples date to the Bronze Age. Early calendars were lunisolar, formatted around the movements of the moon and the sun. The Gregorian calendar, used worldwide today as the de facto calendar, was first introduced in 1582. Fast forward 360 years, and the photo wall calendar exploded in popularity thanks in part to World War II pinup girls. Page after page of scantily clad ladies went to war with our GIs. In the 50s and 60s, wall calendars became a marketing tool. Found in every barbershop and auto garage, they were the precursor to the gimme caps of the 70s. Today, photo wall calendars are dedicated to every niche you can think of, and then some. Calendars.com, for example, just one website, offers almost 50 titles for Scotland calendars alone. Add in categories like pets and animals, moms and babies, flowers and gardens, fashion and pop culture, and, well, you get the idea. The number grows into the many thousands. However, narrow that search to bagpipes, and calendars.com lists only one calendar. And I checked. There's not a single photo of a bagpipe to be found. So to say this first official North American pipe band calendar is original and unique is a massive understatement. Joining me here, under the tartan sky, to talk about the calendar, its origins and fundraising purpose, 
is Susie Waller, creator of The Calendar Project, for her branded website, whiskeyandtartan.com. Also joining us is one of the models from The Calendar, a piper who has seen her fair share of the world as a U.S. naval officer, Carrie Ann Armstrong. And finally, Andrew Donlan, pipe major for the D.C. area's Macmillan Pipe Band, one of the 12 bands who will benefit from the calendar sales. So to start the pages turning, so to speak, I asked Susie to share with us a bit about her website, where you can order the calendar, of course, whiskeyandtartan.com. Uh, Whiskey and Tartan is mainly a lifestyle blog, incorporates events. I started trying to come up with a comprehensive event listing because I had been searching for Highland Games to go to um, in certain areas and was not coming up with a very comprehensive list and was just never really able to find one. For example, the ASGF, the Association of Scottish Games and Festivals, lists games, but only games who are members of the organization. Some regional St. Andrews uh, list events as well, but generally just in their region. And there's no one that lists every single North American Highland Games, whiskey tasting, Scottish bands. And I wanted to have a place where people could go and find all of those types of events. So initially, it was more of an event along with a lifestyle blog, but I had been discussing pipe band fundraising with numerous bands for quite a few years and just decided to kind of rip the bandaid off and go for it and um, see what we can do. <laughs> kind of taking matters into your own hand then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to just pull the plug and do it. <laughs> and so what is your interest in Scotland at large, and in pipe bands in particular? Uh, well, my ancestry is Scottish. I'd say at this point, probably half of my friends live in Scotland. Um, I've been there twice this year, although kind of obscure areas, uh, Shetland and Isla and Mull. I've always loved the bagpipes, but I gained probably most of my interest in the pipe band community after my first Tartan Day Parade, where I met a friend of a friend who's a piper with the Stuart Highlanders. I started going to Highland Games with them and grew to make a lot of friends and lots of bands throughout North America and Canada. And so Whiskey and Tartan is, it is a personal blog and a personal brand, but you have a professional association with Scotland as well, correct? Aside from Whiskey and Tartan, yes, I do manage the social media for the American Scottish Foundation. And can you tell us just briefly what the American Scottish Foundation is about? That's probably a program in itself, and we can certainly do that. Um, <laughs> but just to give us a, a broad-based uh, view of, of what the association is all about. Sure. It's quite different from Whiskey and Tartan in that it's a nonprofit. It's mostly um, art, arts and cultural organization. They have very strong ties with the Scottish government, Visit Scotland, and put on events throughout the year. They're also part of the New York Tartan Day Committee, which holds Tartan Week every year in April in New York City. Large parade, lots of events, Kaylee after party, etc. And there's also a Wallace Gala that's held every fall, Burns Nights, things of that nature. Generally raising support for Tartan Week and arts and culture. So tell me what exactly the North American Pipe Band Calendar Project is all about. What are we talking about here? Well, the annual North American Pipe Band Calendar is a blend of 12 kilted, of course, musicians from 12 competition and non-competition bands that are joining together for the calendar each year to raise money for things like lessons, instruments, 
kilts travel to domestic and international competitions um, and things like that. There are 12 participating bands, and those bands will reap the benefits um, of their participating year. And every year, it will be different bands from different regions, different locations. This year is primarily East Coast and going a little bit inland. So this is the first year for this calendar, though, is that correct? The first year. And you've already made plans for it to be an annual calendar? I have. I have quite a few bands on tap for next year already, as well as a few bespoke kilt designers from Scotland that will be outfitting the musicians. Okay. Now, when you say, obviously, there will be 12 musicians, one uh, as sort of the, the featured musician for each month of the calendar, and it is a fundraising project for the 12 bands that are involved in the calendar. How does the fundraising part of the project work as far as the money? How will the money be raised? And then how is that money distributed amongst those that are participating in the calendar? Well, the bands basically purchase the calendars from me at a very low cost. And they sell them to whoever they sell them to. Highland Games, pubs after parades, friends and family via social media, lots of different avenues. So the bands pay me a pretty low price for the calendars and they keep all of the revenue. And then I know there are sales through places like the Celtic Market. So when someone buys a calendar from an outlet other than one of the 12 bands, where did those funds go and how is that all distributed? Third-party resellers have been very kind as to not take any money off the top. So Proceeds from those calendars will be distributed evenly amongst the 12 participating bands at the end of the sale. So there's X amount of calendars that are printed. And once those are all sold, all the money will be divided up and split between the bands. Okay. Now you have, however, special plans for the month of December and the musician that represents that. Tell me a little about that. December... The proceeds will go to Warrior 360, which is a wounded warrior organization out of Virginia. Uh, they have a lot of Highland Games athletes that participate in a lot of the East Coast games and will start going west. And they have a special code that will be going to them. In addition to that, a portion of the proceeds for those calendars will also go to the pipe bands, although a smaller portion than the general resellers selling for the pipe bands. People that come to me, I encourage them to go to their local pipe bands if they have a participating one in the area. For instance, if someone contacts me and asks me how to purchase and they're from the D.C. Um, you know, DMV area, I would obviously direct them towards McMillan since that's their local band that would be participating in the calendar. So I really encourage people to purchase from the bands first and then, you know, as a alternative. If they're in Canada or the West Coast and there aren't any of those bands there, they can certainly purchase through my website or third-party sellers. So you have this idea for a calendar and now you need bands and musicians to bands to support it by end of the project, musicians to serve as models. And we have representatives of both with us. So let me jump for a moment to Andrew with the pipe band. And Andrew, how did you find out about the project and what led you to become involved with it? Well, strangely enough, I run the Macmillan Pipe Band Facebook. And we I was just on the Facebook page one day and I noticed a message from Susie and looked around and it seemed that we had some mutual friends 
And she sent, uh, and I thought, all right, this is somebody who, you know, everybody's vouched for. So she said, I have this calendar. We want to do some fundraising. Would you be interested? And it sort of started, started that way. And Susie touched on some of the ways that this is going to benefit pipe bands. What types of challenges do people in pipe bands face, financial challenges we're talking about, that a project like this will be able to help with? She mentioned lessons, uh, I, I presume perhaps uniforms, even even instruments. How will, for example, the Macmillan Band put the funds that it receives through this, put those to use? Well, I guess on, on the big picture, pipe bands have to spend a good bit of money on equipment. So she hit the nail on the head there with the instruments, upkeep, and uniforms. And she also had mentioned travel. That's how Macmillan is likely going to be using the funding as seed money in the start of our 2017 World's Trip funding. Um, we're planning to go to the World Pipe Band Championships in 2017, and that's a quite expensive endeavor. So that's a good start. This calendar project's going to be great to start that out. And Corianne, you are one of the, you're a calendar girl. <laughs> you have a most unique background. I was doing a little reading courtesy of Susie, graduate of the Naval Academy, a formal Naval officer. Probably one of the, when I start reading your, your resume, one of the last persons I would think that would be a piper. And yet you are a female piper. Tell me a little about what drew you to the pipes and how that all came about. Right. I get asked that a lot because I didn't start playing until I was 30. But I have a father who attended Alma College back in the 60s and was talked into playing the bagpipes by his roommate, who was a drummer. They needed more pipers at the time. So he just enjoyed it. But he was always bringing us along to bagpiping venues as children. We would go to see the pipers in town instead of going to the ice capades or something similarly exciting. So when he encouraged me, we were at a Highland Games in California when we were stationed out there. And he had come out just to see the piping and dragging me along with him to watch the contest that I didn't even know existed. He said, you need to play the bagpipes. And I had married an Armstrong. So I had married into a Scottish family. And for some reason, it just clicked right then. I said, you know, I need to do that. And so... You had a musical background, though, prior to taking up the pipes. You had played, what, piano and flute, is that correct? Yes, I had been playing the piano since I was four and the flute since I was ten. A lot of wasted years that could have gone to the bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> interesting way of looking at it. And it's interesting to hear you say you came to the pipes at a late age at 30. I was talking earlier today with Craig Monroe, who's a piper with the Red Hot Chili Pipers. And from what our discussion was, uh, that does indeed sound like it was a very late point to come to playing the pipes, if it's something you're going to be involved with from a, a career standpoint. And I'm sure that's not your career per se, but you are a performer. You've reached to that level. Was it difficult coming to the pipes and starting at age 30? It was honestly one of the hardest things I've ever done. And that's after running a nuclear reactor and driving a ship in the middle of the night. So I just put a lot into it. When I started, I got excellent lessons and I went to lessons twice a week because I was like, I'm going to get this right and I'm going to do it right from the start and I'm going to keep at it. So I think anyone with that attitude, if they realize what it's going to take and they're willing to put that into it, then they're going to, they're going to succeed. And how did you come to be one of the models? What was that conversation like? <laughs> it was because Susie was down here in Charleston photographing the pipe major of my current band, the Charleston Police Pipes and Drums. 
And I stopped by and she saw me and said, hey, we would love to have you in the calendar, but you'd need to have another band to represent. Have you ever been in another band? And of course, being a Navy spouse for years, sure, I've been in lots of other bands. And so I've been in bands in Hawaii and in England and in Monterey, California. So we just contacted those bands to see who might be willing to go with the calendar idea. And am I correct in thinking it was your your ex-band in Hawaii that is, uh, I guess, sponsoring you in the calendar? That's correct. Isle of Maui is a pipe band on Maui that Jack Lee goes out and works with Jack Lee of SFU fame. It's kind of like um band project of theirs where he works with them personally every year. And so I got to meet up with them when we lived in Oahu. I'd go to Maui, sort of a satellite member of the band and actually joining them in Ireland um this spring. So that should be a fun trip. Sounds like it would be. But I have to tell you, when I think of Hawaii, of all the things that come to mind, and there are many, <laughs> piping is not one of them. Um, you would be surprised. Everyone says that. But the last princess, when it was its own kingdom, she's half Scottish. So everyone in Hawaii, they understand that there, there's a huge Scottish heritage there. Well, I suppose I shouldn't be surprised because one of the things that, that I've talked about on this podcast and, and I'm constantly talking about and the audience that I'm trying to reach, quite frankly, is the Scott diaspora around the world. And, and there's a huge community of, estimated to be around 50 million. So maybe I, I should start thinking of Hawaii in terms more in terms of Scottish, I guess, than I probably do. And most people do. To take a trip out there. That's what you need to do. Go join the Scottish life. They have the Scottish games out there every spring. Well, I'll, I'll put that on my to-do list, but I'm sure Susie would echo my, my sentiments. When you have the attraction to Scotland that she and I share, and I've been twice in the past year as well, we, we've sort of bounced back and forth and passed each other over the pond and, and haven't met yet, but we've been back and forth to Scotland twice in between each other's trips. And Susie, you mentioned you've been to some of the out-of-the-way places. i got to talk to you, not necessarily now, but at some point about Shetland, because that's on my list of places to go when I'm over for the next time. You definitely should go. Well, I know I should go. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about uh, about that. So let's get a little bit into the workings of the calendar. Susie, you had to find not only musicians and bands, but you had to have someone to make the calendar to bring it all together. And that is a photographer to, to do these photo shoots, to capture the, the people that have that you've coaxed into or have agreed to be um, models for the calendar. How did you go about doing that and putting this whole project together and doing it in a fairly short time? Well, uh, I won't lie. It's been extremely difficult and taxing, but uh, worth everything. A few of the photographs I actually took myself and uh, a few were taken by band photographers and a few I found through contacts or contacts of contacts that were able to donate their time and uh, take some of the photos for me. So there's a vast array of photographers displayed in the calendar. And Corianne, as a model, and, and I use that because I don't have a better term to use, but once you made the commitment and agreed with Susie that you were going to do this, um, how did the photo shoot go? Walk me through a little bit of that. Well, ours was exciting because it was shot on the rocks by the water side. And I actually had uh, two or three, of, three, I think, of my little girls with me who we were constantly trying to keep from falling into the water. So that was <laughs> a side issue. 
But it was really neat to have the photographer posing me and telling me what to do. I felt a little awkward at times. I've never posed for a photo shoot, even for my own wedding, really. It was just a unique experience that it, it was exciting. And I, the photographer was excited about it. And so was Susie. And so it just, it just brings that out through the photo shoot. One presumes that you were kilted up in, in your uh, uniform regalia, whatever you want to want to call it. Am, am I guessing that's correct? Correct. I had part of my uniform on. It was a kilt and and that's all you get to know till you see the calendar. But she wanted to <laughs> so that, that implies you had part of the uniform off. And I know this is not that kind of calendar. <laughs> it's not that kind of calendar. But we all look different. That's what I love about the, the proofs of a few um, shoots I've seen. I haven't seen the final things either. But I love it that it's such a different style for each piper. And all of them are very classy. So I'm excited to see what mine looks like because I haven't seen it yet either. Well, I haven't either, so I haven't even got a chance to see proofs. I'll have to wait until they, they're, they're delivered, I suppose, to find out what part of the uniform you weren't wearing, but we'll go, we won't go there. Um, Andrew, tell me a little bit about the state of pipe bands, particularly in North America. I know there's a huge Scottish community in uh, the United States and in Canada, and I was talking, as I said, talking with Craig Monroe earlier today, and he said he felt like that pipe bands and piping in general – has never been more popular than it is now. Would you agree with that sentiment? And and what exactly is, from your viewpoint, the status of pipe bands here in North America? First off, Craig's a really smart guy and a good friend. I've met him a couple times, and um, his band just had a great run at the World Championships, St. Lawrence Atoll. I think they got second. Um, so I'd call him a pretty smart guy, yeah. and I'm not going to disagree with him. I think piping is really popular in the States right now. There are over 200 bands, competitive bands, just in the U.S. I tried to do a little research today to find the exact number, but I think North America has some really strong piping. The U.S. is just a little weaker than Canada, unfortunately. Um, there being some really strong bands, Simon Fraser University and Dalco Triumph Street out in British Columbia near Vancouver. But I think that you'll find that there are piping hotspots in North America, not necessarily always around big metropolitan regions, like Albany, New York, not the biggest place. They have at least five pipe bands. And I, I credit that a lot to their youth program, the Scotia Glenville Band. Um, they're based out of a high school, and they just got sixth place in grade 3A at the World Championships two weeks ago, or a week ago, whatever it was. Sorry, I, I just got back from Scotland myself two days ago. That's, but, a, that's okay. We're jealous, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good trip. It was a good trip. But I'd say that with over 200 competitive bands and countless numbers of non-competitive bands, piping is very strong in the U.S. In your experience, how do young people come to the pipes generally? And since you agreed so much with Craig, I won't tell you what he said, <laughs> but is that, a, is that segment of uh, the community healthy? Are there a lot of young people that are coming on and, and and are going to hopefully continue the tradition of, of pipe bands across the United States and Canada? In my experience, I started with actually our youth band, the Macmillan Youth Band, um, called the Rockville High School Pipe Band. And that's what's created a healthy pipe band scene in the D.C. metro area for the past 50 years. The general way to start as a kid in the U.S. is just on luck. Uh, you have to want to play pipes. And you have to be lucky enough to live near a teacher or a band that can teach. 
we've been talking within pipe bands in the U.S. about starting more youth programs. I've been involved with the New York Metro Pipe Band, and they just started their youth band this year. Pipe bands have to make their own future, and schools aren't going to do it for us, unfortunately. Um, I studied music education and bagpipe performance in college. So I've done some work with what's called NAFME, or the National Association for Music Education. And they're pushing for more music in schools beyond the STEM subjects. But I don't think we're going to see the general musical world be pushing too much for bagpipes anytime soon. So we need to be looking into the pipe band sponsoring youth programs and doing youth outreach on their own rather than in the schools. We've talked about uh, the World Pipe Band Championships, which as we record this was a week ago in Glasgow. Uh Uh, You're just fresh back from that trip. How important are competitions like the World Pipe Band Championship? Because I'm assuming there are other uh, championships or other competitions at much smaller levels and and then work up to the the World Championship. How important are those type of activities and Highland Games, et cetera, to helping to promote the activity of pipe bands? If I can interject really quickly, Andrew, I think you should Mm -hmm. tell them about Maxville. Uh, Yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, still still pretty excited about that. I left right after Maxville, so I came back to see the trophy. McMillan is a competitive organization comprising of three bands. Only one of our bands went up to the North American Championships two weeks ago, or possibly three weeks ago. I'm not really sure. It's been a month of excitement. And there are competitions throughout the year, throughout the North America, Scotland. There was just one in Lorient in Brittany. Festival Interceltique. So competitive piping is what we do. And it's it's how piping has existed since 1781, the first piping contest in Falkirk. That's just exactly what pipers do. We compete. But what Susie was just speaking about was the North American Championships in Maxville, Ontario, where McMillan was, um, we won. We were North American champions. Oh, congratulations. Yay. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. It's been a long year. Um, a lot of hard work. And we're very happy with the result and just working hard for next year. But in terms of Highland Games and competitions, um, McMillan is playing nine contests this summer or this year, starting in April and ending in October. And that's how the art form has existed, piping and pipe bands, since 1781. Pipe bands obviously came along later in the end of the 19th century. But I'd say that competitively, that's the most important thing we can do to push the the art form along and keep it living, as well as to get more people into piping. Because if a kid shows up at a Highland Games and sees, insert grade one band here, SFU, Field Marshal, if they see a really good pipe band, they're going to think, hey, that's really cool. I want to do that. And then there's the band. Go have a conversation and start learning. I want to talk about the cool factor in just a moment, but Corianne, you've had the benefit or the occasion to find yourself as a member of a pipe band in many different locations around the world. When you moved to a new location, when you were following or moving around the world in the Navy, you and your husband, did you purposely go out and search for pipe bands? Were you sought out? How did you come to play, for example, in a pipe band in Hawaii and in the various other places where you have been a member of a band? For me personally, on a lower level of piping, because I was starting from the ground up, no one was seeking after me, obviously. 
But each place that I was going to move to, I'd make sure that they had a band available so that I could continue my education. And always being in a band helps to press you to continue to improve. And so we have a little bit of say when we move and where we'd like to move to. So we wouldn't have moved somewhere had there not been a pipe band for me, basically. So you went to the Admiral and said, no, sir, we're not going there because there's no pipe band. (laughs) I wish. No, it's just (laughs) you you make your list of choices and we just wouldn't put a choice on there if it was somewhere where I couldn't go to a band. Then the other side of that is that now that I've moved to the East Coast and started competing solo, It'll be nice to, they have a whole program of competitions, not just for the band, but for solo pipers, where you can show up in a new state at a new band and say, I am a grade X piper, you know, four, three, two, one. And they will know what that means. It translates worldwide and then they'll know where to place you. And you don't have to go around proving yourself every time you show up in a new band. You say, this is what I am. And they recognize that. And you, you know, fit yourself into that group and start working hard. And when you say you don't have to prove yourself, is it unusual to be a, a female piper? And has that been an issue at any time that you've had to overcome or prove yourself to others about? I think that that's a common perception, but I'm going to say it's a common misperception because everywhere I go, it seems like half our band is female. I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, but it seems that we do gigs and the people who can show up oftentimes you know, it's half and half. That includes drummers and pipers. But there are some little things to overcome that any one of a smaller statue may have, you know, their arm weighs less. So you may have to put more strength into squeezing the bag. Little things like that. We may play a weaker read, but it's not all women that that translates to. And it's not just women. It's often people who are more beginners and, and you can play a stronger read as you're improving. So those are some common things that you that might be perceived to be problems that are because I'm a female piper. But really, it's just because when you're starting out, these are some problems you have. And as you get up to the higher levels, the playing field is more leveled. If you're a grade two piper, you're a female or a male and you're all the same kind of um, you're all at the same level if you're all a grade two, basically. And I suspect that if. I can't speak for everyone, but if you and I were face to face and you said, Hey buddy, I drove a destroyer at night, I'd probably go, you know what? You're that's good in my book. (laughs) (laughs) I tend to agree, Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) How leveling playing the bagpipes is. We have people who are professional musicians in their real life, you know, and they, um, they teach band or whatever. They play the clarinet, they play every woodwind known to man, but they're beginners on the pipes or, People like me, you know, accomplished in this field. And then all of a sudden you play the pipes and you feel like a dunce because it takes so long to become proficient and it's so much hard work. So all of us look up to these great pipers and think, oh, someday I want to be there. But um, it, it definitely you put in your time. You touched a minute ago, Andrew, uh, you mentioned uh, the cool factor. And clearly the Red Hot Chili Pipers have upped the cool factor in piping, set the bar now very, very high. Craig was talking about the number of young people who come to their concerts. And I guess for those who may not be familiar with the band, Red Hot Chili Pipers have coined a term called bag rock. And they're a bagpipe band and a rock and roll band. And they cover and play rock and roll and pop tunes and traditional pipe tunes, etc. in a very unique way. As you are interacting with people about the bagpipes, 
does the band, the Red Hot Chili Pipers, and their style of music and all of that come into the conversation? And are they, in fact, injecting a new cool factor into playing the bagpipes? I think they are. I think it's a different style. I, I love what, what they're doing. Those guys have pushed pipes to a new level of popularity, even in Scotland. If you fly to Edinburgh Airport, there's a big picture of them on the wall. Yes. <laughs> so I think they're doing a really great thing. And we've not had too many people start because of them in Macmillan, but I think the high school band, uh, the Rockville High School Band, has had a few kids start um, just because they're sort of exposing the music to a new crowd, to a different demographic. But among the higher competitive people, bands and soloists, I think we enjoy it. It's not something that's going to be something we compete with, but I think what they're doing is great for the instrument. And they're not using pipers who have very bad teaching. I mean, Craig's one of the best players in the world. He's a great player. Yeah, their pipers are amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know Doogie very well, but Craig plays in St. Lawrence Atul, as I was saying, and that's not something to scoff at. They're a very good band, and he's quite the accomplished piper. Yeah. So I think I think they have up the cool factor, but a little non-traditional. If I can interject a bit of a personal memory here. I liken it back to when I was in high school in, in uh, 1969, 70, 71, and the band Chicago came out here in America. And as a trombone player, I can remember me and a few of my high school mates who played trombone and trumpet. Uh, and suddenly, you know, there's a trombone and there's a trumpet and a saxophone, and this band is playing rock and roll. And it was outstanding. And our high school band, we had a pretty hip band director, but he had come from the traditional band ranks. He'd been in the United States Army sorry, Corianne, and had played uh, trumpet in, in a military band. But we were able to go with him and say, you know, Mr. Legrone, you've got to sit down and listen to this music. Listen to this stuff. And he did some arrangements for us. And now, of course, bands all across the country play a lot of uh, Chicago and Blood, Sweat and Tears. And that type of, of music has made its way into the marching band repertoire. And so I don't expect that we'll see bands at the World Pipe Championship doing a cover of Don't Stop Believing like the, like the Red Hot Chili Pipers do. But I'm wondering about what their impact will be when we look back, say, 10 years from now on the number of pipers that are playing then. And if we'll be able to look back and see a core group of people who came to the instrument because of becoming fans as a young person of the Red Hot Chili Pipers, whether they go on to play that style of music on the pipes or the more traditional style that you're playing in competitive bands. Do you have any sense of what that might be like in 10, 15, 20 years from now? Do you think they're having that kind of impact? I think so. I think Craig's work with the pipes in schools, I'm not sure what he uh, what it's called, but he works with a foundation over there, an organization in Scotland that tries to get piping taught in the schools. I think that his, his involvement with that and the Chili Pipers being so prevalent in Scotland right now, there's got to be kids learning. I mean, I'm sure the high school band here has kids learning because of it. And I think that's the gateway. And as soon as you get to that door and you see what traditional piping is like, you're going to fall in love with it. So I think we will see in 10, 15 years time, 20 years time, a lot of people who learned all over the world because of the Red Hot Chili Pipers. And then dove into the traditional repertoire and traditional piping and Kaylee I mean, piping. And just I think YouTube has a lot to do with that too, because the younger generation, they're going to be sharing video clips and things of bands like Red Hot Chili Pipers, which is going to introduce a new crowd to it, but they would not be sharing 
<laughs> clips from the World Pipe Band Championships. Well, not yet. Not yet, but <laughs> yeah, I, I would almost beg to differ with you. Of course, now I'm, I'm not a young person anymore, young at heart, but that's as close as I can get. And yet, uh, I think your point is valid about the technology that's available because for the last two years, I sat here on a Saturday and streamed the World Pipe Band Championships live on TV and was able to, on my computer, and was able to sit and watch the World Pipe Band Championships uh, taking place live from Glasgow, just as if I were there. And that's something that when I started learning to play music as a young man, none of that existed. And so I think we have to be careful and, and wonder maybe what technology will do, because technology is exposing younger people to a whole world that's out there all around the world. There's an app called Tune In that I was talking with some friends at a Scottish radio station about just the other day. And with that app on my phone, I can dial up and listen to BBC Radio Scotland or a radio station in Swahili or wherever in Tokyo and be exposed to all kinds of music and communication that as a teenager, when I was in, in the 60s, you know, we had little transistor radios we carried to school to listen to the World Series on. <laughs> you know, there's, there was no, never would have thought that there was even radio broadcasting in a place like Japan or Swahili or pick, you know, any country and insert here. So I think, yes, you're right, that now YouTube kids would be sharing clips of the Red Hot Chili Pipers. But I'm not so sure that sharing clips of traditional pipe band championships is too far away. It might be happening even now, and we just aren't aware of it, perhaps. I completely oh, I agree with that, just because there are so many young people, so many more young people, at least in the time that, and Drew, you've been involved with this a lot longer than I have, but just in the time that I've been, you know, around the community, the amount of young people that I'm starting to notice has really grown. And I don't know if you agree with that, Drew, but I feel like the exposure to it just in general and obviously, a lot of younger pipers are products of their parents or grandparents or uncles being in bands as well. And so that has a lot to do with it. But just the exposure to the instrument in general, I think, has definitely brought some younger blood in with it. And what I'm hoping to do with the calendar, and just this is just touching on exactly what you said, Glenn, about, you know, being a traditional band geek. Um, I think this compilation of people that I have in this calendar will definitely go to show you that they're anything but band geeks. <laughs> they're pretty amazing, uh, fantastic people with very individual and uh, definitely cool. <laughs> well, and, and I think certainly Corianne is an excellent choice in, in that regard. And were you going to make a comment there? I, th I thought I heard you chime in, Corianne. Oh, I was just going to say that we have been seeing a lot of people share clips from the world's in the last week and the, the pre-world concerts and piping live that went on that all that week. And I just think it's so neat how they're trickling down, you know, and, and eventually it's going to be more common to see this type of thing where I hadn't even heard of. It's like this underground world of piping. It's not going to be underground anymore pretty soon. Well, and another comment that Craig made, and it touches to what we're talking about now is that as a young person who comes to the pipes, and gets involved. One of the benefits of that, he said, was that you become, as you were just saying, Corianne, you become a member of a wonderful worldwide community. And, and that's a difference, I think, in growing up now and in growing up when certainly when I came up, you know, I had a, a concept of the world around me, but I didn't know people in England or France or Scotland or Japan. And I now, thanks to a lot of the activities in my lifetime, I, I have friends all around the world. But if you get involved in piping, 
because it is a worldwide thing, and there are the championships that lead to the world championships, of course, uh, I think his point is, was valid. You do, and certainly, uh, again, Corey, and you're a great example of that. You've become a member of a worldwide community of pipers, and it has opened doors for you as you've traveled around the world, I have to think. Oh, absolutely. Being in a pipe band in England, I got to see little parts of the country where we'd go and play for a military event here or play for um, the ships sailing out of the port in Southampton on a world cruise. We went to Nice to play for Carnival. All sorts of things where I just was a part of the culture of that pipe band for that one year. And it was an amazing experience. And so will any of your girls, uh, any of them picking up the pipes, do you think? Oh, I hope so. The oldest is 12 right now, and the youngest is a baby. So I have a lot of years in there. I have seven children. There's many of them who could pick them up, and it just has not yet occurred. I keep trying to force them on them, but, um, <laughs> you know, I still They're going to take piano and like it, whether you like it or not. I can hear it now. Oh, that's my childhood. I <laughs> to it myself that it's hard to pursue um, making them sit down at this point, so... Maybe once I'm a better piper in the years to come, I'll finally crack down and be like, you will learn the pipes or the drums. <laughs> well, there's time yet, it sounds like, certainly for and for at least one of them to pick up the pipes exactly. at some point. So Susie, to wrap things up, let's talk about when the calendar's released, where it will be available. So if there's not a local pipe band they can go to and get the calendar, how do people find it, order it, and and get one in their hands? First and foremost, there's my website, whiskeyandtartan.com. The calendar is available now for purchase on the distillery. And there's also a great giveaway of a very exclusive Harris Tweed um, flask worth about 100 pounds. No, I've already, um, I've already won that. So just take that <laughs> off the table. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that'll be given away to one lucky winner. Um, and that's, and from, that's from the Celtic market. I think I interrupted as you were about to say that. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, they're just amazing. And she's uh, selling the calendar also at Games in Canada. Calendars will be available at the Capital District Games in New York. They'll be available at the New Hampshire Highland Games and at the Celtic Classic. And then, as I said, on my website, whiskeyandtartan.com. And I ship to spell it the right way, though. The Scottish way. You have to spell it the Scottish way. Exactly. No E in whiskey. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. For those of us of Scottish descent, we don't we don't have that issue. But for others, yeah. yeah <laughs> so it, I say that. <laughs> so no, that's fine. It's a good point. Whiskey and tartan is W H I S K Y. No E. It's not whiskey if it has an E in it. I've been told. <laughs> okay, so primarily uh, whiskeyandtartan.com, If you're not in an area where there is a, a local pipe band that is participating. And how soon do you go to work on 2017? Oh, um, as soon as I can. I, I pushed <laughs> this one a little, a little too quickly, but you know, I've been looking at this and staring at this day in and day out all day for quite a few weeks, and was really nervous that when I got it, I would, you know, be discouraged. But I love it. I think it's fantastic, and I think that people are really going to like it. And um, I hope to start shooting as quickly as possible. I have quite a few bands already uh, interested in participating in 2017. So it's just kind of finalizing those up. And then from there, moving on to getting the kilts from the bespoke designers and, and moving forward with getting them photographed. And yeah, I think we should be pretty good. I'm hoping for maybe a slightly earlier delivery next year. 
that way we can maybe uh, have the bands hit a few extra Highland games and possibly take them to the Worlds. Outstanding. Well, thank you all for joining with me, for taking the time out of uh, busy schedules. I guess I'll toss this at both Andrew and at uh, Corianne. With regard to the future of bagpiping, if you were to, to be confronted by a young person saying, you know, I have an interest in the pipes, I'm not really sure what I want to do, what would you tell a young person who has expressed an interest and wants to take up the pipe? What would your, what would your advice be? Well, I think um, Andrew would be the better one to answer but I would just like to say first so that he's ready to answer afterwards is just to make sure if you're just going to point them towards a band, make sure that they know that private lessons, even through the band or through another teacher, it's really essential at an early start in the, in the pipes, just getting the fundamentals down from the beginning correctly. That would be my advice. And Andrew, I think if somebody came up to me seeing as this is what I'm doing full time, I'd say, come to me for lessons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's at BR549, right? There is a plug yeah, right? there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would, I would send anybody to their local pipe teacher. And as a competitive player, I'd send them to the closest professional piper possible or Google, use Google, use the internet, email somebody, say, Hey, I want to play. That seems to be the hardest part is who do you talk to? Exactly. Because that's the luck. If somebody's coming up to me saying, I want to learn bagpipes or to Corianne or to any other piper, they're already halfway there. The hardest part is finding somebody who's a good teacher. So use the internet. And I honestly feel like it's every piper's job to make sure that person who's interested, just to keep help them as much as they're willing to take your help in finding someone, help them find someone. Because if you love the pipes enough to be reaching out to ask about them, you deserve to get to the chance and you're not going to get the chance unless you have a teacher. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. My sincere thanks to Susie, Carrie Ann and Andrew for helping us take a behind the scenes look at this first North American pipe band calendar. Remember, if you're not near a participating pipe band, you can purchase the calendar while supplies last through whiskeyandtartan.com or through thecelticmarket.com. There, your purchase enters you into a drawing for a limited edition Harris Tweed Saltar hip flask. Don't worry, you'll find links to those sites in the show notes on our website at underthetartansky.scot. Remember, too, all purchases benefit the participating pipe bands. And as this is the first North American pipe band calendar, it's sure to become a collector's item in years to come. Until next time. I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapalev, Agus Alapa Gabra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. Learn more on our website at www.glennlmoyer.com. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening.